All right, grab your Bibles if you would and open up with me to 2 Kings chapter 16. Um, we're going to finish up the very last part of chapter 15 and then Lord willing we're going to cover all of chapter 16 tonight. And just to remind you of what's going on, um, remember uh, Kings, First and Second Kings together are part of the historical books of the Bible. And so what they're given is they're given about a 400 year period of history from the life of Israel. And overall, it's a pretty bleak period of history. Now, there's good things that happen. Of course, you have the ministries of Elijah and Elisha. There's, there's good points along the way. But if you look at the overall trajectory, even though there's some highs and lows, the overall graph is going downhill. And it's going downhill pretty sharply at times. I was thinking this week, maybe think of it like, uh, like the Waycross Mall in town. You know, the mall was built, I think, in the 70s. And when it was built, I'm sure it was bright and shiny and the talk of the town and every store wanted to be in the mall. But what happens over time? Things just lose their luster, right? Maintenance goes undone and decor gets outdated and stores close up and move away and it, it just sort of loses the shine. Well, that's what's going on in Israel. This, this kingdom that was once bright and shiny, in fact, when First Kings starts, it starts with the death of David and the reign of Solomon. And that was very much the glory days of Israel. The, the borders of Israel were their widest under Solomon. The economy of Israel was its best and strongest under Solomon. They had no real enemies they're having to fight against. Everything is great. And then Solomon dies and it never reaches that high point again. In fact, where we are in the story, the nation of Israel has now divided into two kingdoms. So God's people have split into two groups. You have the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And what Kings is showing us is it's letting us watch the trajectory of both kingdoms as they move toward ruin. Now, the northern kingdom reaches the end of the line about 150 years before the southern kingdom. So the southern kingdom lasts longer, but they're both barreling downhill at breakneck speed. Now, we've actually come almost to the end of the northern kingdom. So last week, we covered most of uh, 2 Kings 15. And you might remember, 2 Kings 15, in sort of machine gun fashion, runs through about half a dozen different kings of the northern empire. All of them are evil. None of them love the Lord, um, and, and in fact, almost all of them die in very bad ways. Of all the kings we looked at last week, five of them, only one of those kings died of natural causes. The others were murdered in some sort of insurrection. Um, the very last king that was mentioned last week was a king named Hoshea. And I told you, it, it, we don't get his story in 15, but he's actually the very last king to reign in the north. So we got, we got to the last king of the northern empire last week. Now, chapter 17, when we come back, is where we'll see the end of it. We'll see the end of Hosea's reign. We'll see the dissolution of the northern empire. So that's where we are there. Now, tonight, the very end of chapter 15 and all of chapter 16 turns our attention to the southern kingdom. And while there's all sorts of chaos and disorder going on in the north, there's most, mostly stability in the south. So there was this king named Uzziah who comes to the throne and he reigns 52 years. Following Uzziah is a king who reigns 16 years. Following him is another king who reigns 16 years. So in the north, you've got kings reigning a month and six months, and two years. It's constant insurrection and constant turnover. In the south, you have kings who are sitting on the throne for a very long time. 
But that doesn't mean that everything is going well in the south. So Uzziah dies and his son Jotham becomes king. We'll see him tonight. And he is a mostly good king. But when Jotham dies, his son Ahaz becomes king. And, and you can make the argument that Ahaz was the worst king to ever come to the throne in the south. And that's who all of chapter 16 is, is going to focus on. And remember now, we're looking at the northern and the southern empire. But if you back up, remember that if you look at the broader political landscape, there is a figure who is standing, towering over this whole region. And it's this king named Tiglath-Pileser. We'll see his name come up again tonight. He was the king of the Assyrian Empire. And he was a king who had his act together. Um, probably the greatest king the Assyrians ever had. Uh, during, during the reign of Tiglath-Pileser, the territory controlled by Assyria doubled. So he has his mindset on expansion. He's conquering every nation in sight. So he is a force to be reckoned with. There's a, a funny story. There was a a man in the 1800s in England who was a, an author and a zoologist. And when he was a college student, he was at Oxford. And in his zoology, he got in lots of trouble because he would always have all sorts of different animals in his room. And on one occasion, he actually had a live bear in his dorm room at Oxford. And the bear got out of his room and, and was wandering around campus and ended up going into the chapel on Oxford while they were having a service. And when the bear came in, they were actually in 2 Kings 16. They were going to be reading part of what we're going to be reading tonight. And the speaker was reading from 2 Kings 16, verses 6 and 7, somewhere around there. And he was reading, and he read the name Tiglath-Pileser. And then he looked up and saw the bear. And you can imagine that ended the service. Everybody evacuated from the building instantly. But because of that, from that point forward, that's what they named the bear. So there was this bear on the Oxford campus who they named Tiglath-Pileser. And I bring that up because that's a good way to think about this Assyrian king. He went wherever he wanted. He took whatever he wanted. He devoured anybody who stood in his way. He ran roughshod over every country around him. And he is going to be a huge problem for both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. So you'll see his name come up a few times tonight. Okay, so with all of that said, let's just start reading. If you're in 2 Kings 15, here we go, starting in verse 32. It says, In the second year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jerusha, the daughter of Zadok, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He did according to all that his father Uzziah had done. However, the high places were not removed. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. He built the upper gate of the house of the Lord. So what's the king we're looking at now? Jotham, and what kingdom are we in? Judah, which is the southern kingdom. So Uzziah dies, and his son comes to the throne. And what kind of king was Jotham? Well, it's mostly a good report that he's given, right? He, he was like his father, which means he wasn't perfect, but he does, he does seem to have a genuine heart for the Lord. We were even told toward the end of that that he built the upper gate 
the house of the Lord. This is one of the entrances that would come into the temple courtyard. So, so Jotham is a king who saw the importance of worship and he's investing in keeping the temple up and doing good things for the house of the Lord. So there's a lot of good things that Jotham did. What's the failure of Jotham? It's the failure that just about every single good king in the southern empire had. Here's his failure. However, verse 35, however, the high places were not removed. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but just remember, the high places were all of the um, idolatrous shrines that the Canaanites who were in the land before Israel had built. They would go up on the hills. That's how they thought they got closer to their gods, and they would build these shrines. It would be little altars and idols, and that's how they would worship the local deities. And so when Israel moved into the land, the temptation was keep going all over the place. Every hill, there's a shrine. You can keep going there, and you can keep appeasing the local deities, and you can even use that as a site to worship Yahweh. And God had told them not to do it. But the picture we get is just about every king failed to deal with it. So it's like king after king after king just kept kicking the can down the road. They wouldn't deal with this idolatry that by this point in the story has spread its, its roots far and wide in Judah. Okay, so it has spread like leaven in bread and none of these kings had the, the spiritual wherewithal, the courage to deal with this issue that was so important. We'll, we'll talk about this a little bit more later, but um, remember how important the virtue of courage is. Those of you who read C.S. Lewis's books, we read Screwtape Letters seven or eight years ago in our book club, and there's a quote from C.S. Lewis about courage that I thought fit well here. Listen to what Lewis said. He said, courage is not simply one of the virtues but the form of every virtue at the testing point. Do you get what he's saying? He's saying that none of the other virtues end up mattering if you don't have courage. You might, you might consider yourself to be honest, but if you don't have courage, your honesty is going to crumble when the stakes are high. You, you might consider yourself to be faithful, but if you don't have courage, you will not stay faithful when the persecution or the temptation gets intense. So if there's no courage, none of the other virtues end up mattering a hill of beans in the end. Well, the point is, king after king after king in Judah didn't have the courage to deal with what was really the most pressing spiritual issue in the land. And so what's happening all the while is, is the heart of the nation is getting rotted out by all of this idolatry. One more part about Jotham. Pick up in verse 36. Now, the rest of the acts of Jotham and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? In those days, the Lord began to send Reason, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, against Judah. So Jotham rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. And then Ahaz, his son, reigned in his place. Now, I just want you to file file this away in your mind because it's going to come back. So we're getting the first hint here that Judah began to feel some pressure from the northern empire. We, we saw this last week when we were talking about the northern empire. But do you remember what happened? These, these once mortal enemies, Israel and Syria, who had fought against each other for centuries, decided that they needed to form an alliance. And they needed an alliance because there was a, a bigger bully on the block 
Assyria was now a threat to both of them. So they decided they were going to join forces to fight Assyria. But they wanted Judah to join the coalition with them. And so they're going to begin to put pressure on Judah to take the same foreign policy position against Assyria that they did. Because what's happening is at this point, Judah's foreign policy basically is don't poke the bear. Just don't do anything that's going to get Assyria mad at us. And so Israel and Syria are starting to put some pressure on Judah to join in. Now that's going to become a huge issue when we get to Ahaz. Okay, so that's Jotham. That's the king who comes after Uzziah. Okay, let's look at the next guy. We dealt with him quickly because we're going to spend a lot of time on, on King Ahaz. So picking up in verse, uh, chapter 16 now, verse 1. In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord his God, as his father David had done. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Indeed, he made his son pass through the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel. And he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. Now, it's really easy to remember the most evil king in the north and the most evil king in the south because their names sound similar. Who was the most evil king in the north? Ahab. Remember Ahab and Jezebel. Who's going to be the most evil king in the south? Ahaz. Now, one of the striking things here is that Ahaz's, Ahaz's father, Jotham, was a good king. He seems to have genuinely had a heart for the Lord. Ahaz's son, Hezekiah, also was a good king who had a heart for the Lord. So follow that. You have a good king who has a son who is an evil king, who has a son who is a good king. And we've made this point several times as we've gone through kings, but it's important to remember. We get all of these reminders in kings that, that you and I, for good or bad, we are not locked in to some spiritual destiny because of our parents or grandparents. So on one hand, that means uh, nobody's grandfathered into the kingdom of God. The fact that I have parents who trust in Christ and love the Lord does not assure me a right position with God. Each generation has to turn to the Lord and trust in the Lord themselves. Now, the other side of that is this reminds us that I am not doomed to spiritual cursing because I have parents who were heathens and rebelled against the Lord. So the idea that there might be some generational curse that I'm locked in because I had evil grandparents and unless I figure out the name of those demons and renounce the curse, I'm trapped in this forever, is not a biblical idea. If you will turn to the Lord, he will show you mercy regardless of what your parents did. If you'll follow the Lord, to use David from this morning, you will know the goodness of God regardless of what your great-grandparents did. Okay, so we see kings having good kings who have sons who turn away and then evil kings who have sons who follow the Lord. So, so what kind of man was King Ahaz? Well, we get some descriptions, don't we? Some that are general and then some that are more specific. Here's the, the general one. 